Truth Still Matters, episode number 10. Come one, come all. Welcome to the Catholic Podcast. Truth Still Matters. The human person is made for truth. Despite this dictatorship of relativism, we breathe every day. This podcast exists in the stream of the new evangelization championed by Pope John Paul the Great and continue with Pope Emeritus Benedict XVI and Pope Francis. We will have the opportunity to learn and reflect on the timeless truths revealed by God and deposited in the Catholic Church. If you're looking for apologetics or theology that can be applied to your life right now, you've found a new home. Stop drowning in the world of opinion and embrace yourselves for truth still matters. You and I have made it back for the 10th episode of Truth Still Matters. I am so excited about this podcast. And before we get into it, I just want to thank you for all the reviews that are coming in on HubertSanders.com, the reviews that are showing up in the iTunes store. You don't know how much that builds me up and it encourages others to tune in, to subscribe, to download this Catholic vodcast, Truth Still Matters. Because what it's about is lifting up the holy name of Jesus and the fullness of the faith that he's deposited in the Catholic Church. Now please, bear with me. Over the last few days, I've been feeling a bit under the weather, and my voice may sound a bit different. But by God's grace, I had to record this next episode because it is focused on the doctrine of the Immaculate Conception. And I plan on releasing this right on the solemnity of the Immaculate Conception. And this is a gospel message. You might be thinking, really? Yes, really. It is a gospel message. It is about Mary, but Mary always points us to her son. Do you know what the Immaculate Conception is? I'll give you a hint. It does not refer to Jesus being conceived in Mary's womb without the involvement of a human father. No, indeed. What is the Immaculate Conception? Stay tuned. From the beginning of time, God was preparing Mary to be the Theotokos, the God-bearer. And one of the primary ways that he prepared Mary was through her immaculate conception. Yes, we will be discussing the Immaculate One, Mother Mary. The Immaculate Conception is often misunderstood 
within Catholic circles as well as non-Catholic circles. What do we mean by the Immaculate Conception? Well, we mean this. By virtue of the merits of Christ Jesus, Mary was preserved immaculate from all stain of original sin. The Immaculate Conception refers to Mary being conceived within her mother's womb. Now, according to the Proto-Evangelium of James, Mary's parents were Joachim and Anne, and they were married and they had natural <clears throat> marital relations. And as a result, they received the blessing of Mary. But in her conception, God preserved her from all stain of original sin. Not only in the, in the conception, but Mary remained sinless for the rest of her life. This was a part of God's plan in preparing Mary to be the God-bearer, the mother of God. Now, as you hear about this, some objections may come to mind. Primarily, wait a minute, you're making Mary sinless? Obviously, that means you're uplifting her to the status of some kind of deity. Absolutely not. Mary is not worshipped. Okay, we venerate her. We highly honor her. But God is adored and he is adored alone. Mary is simply his greatest creature. And as the scripture tells us, all generations will call her blessed. And that's what we're doing right now. We're recognizing what God did in her. Did she need a savior if she didn't have any sin? That might be another objection that comes to mind. Yes, she did need her son to save her. Jesus is the universal savior. But Mary was saved in a different way than you and I are saved. We are saved after we fall into the pit of sin. After we get dirty. Mary never fell in the pit. She was preserved from falling into the pit. But that preservation was still a saving. And that saving was won for her on Calvary. Now you might be thinking, wait a minute. Jesus wouldn't die until after Mary was conceived. How could his death and resurrection be applied to her? Well, God is outside of time and space. And he can take what would happen on Calvary and apply it to Mary's conception. I mean, think about it. If you were God and you had a chance to create your own mom, would you not preserve her from all stain of sin? Wouldn't you, for the lack of a better phrase, hook her up? <laughs> I know I would. And that's what God did. Okay, so we're not uplifting Mary to a, to a goddess type status. She is a creature and she still needed her son to be saved. She was just saved in a different way. That's all. Now, another objection may come to mind. You may say, wait a minute. Doesn't Paul tell us in his letter to the Romans that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God? You Catholics are not abiding by the scripture by saying that Mary was sinless. Now, wait a minute. Before you attack us, let's look at Romans 3.23. It says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. 
Okay, this is referring to personal sin, which is what? You know something is wrong and you choose to do it anyway. Is Paul referring to every single human being without exception? Well, he's got to be referring to most human beings. Why? Because Jesus is obviously not on that list and he's a human being. You can't put Jesus and include him in the all here, right? Sure. What about mentally challenged people? People who never get to a point of knowing what's wrong and committing that act anyway. Can they be responsible for personal sin? No. So obviously, Paul is not including them either in this all. Now, so we see that Given the context here, we're dealing with a personal kind of sin, a personal kind of culpability for doing the wrong thing. And Paul, obviously, is not re, uh, requiring us to include in that all every single human being. And so Mary, according to the Catholic tradition, falls in that exception to the all here. And it's not really an exception because Paul intends not every single human being to be included in here. So it's not really an exception. It's just taking the literal sense of the text. Yes, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, but not every single human being, okay? Let's go back to Genesis 3.15. That's the Proto-Evangelium, the news of the first gospel. Right after Adam and Eve turn away from God, God mounts the rescue mission. And he says, I'm going to put enmity, which is space, between you and the woman. Who's the you? Satan and the woman. Between her offspring and Satan's offspring. Now this woman, the Gospel of John tells us, that the woman is Mary. Mary is considered to be the new Eve. The church fathers, for example, Saint Irenaeus, put forth the fact that Mary's obedience unties the knot that was tied by Eve's disobedience. Mary is the new Eve. Now you tell me, the first Eve, was she created without original sin? Yes, she was. We have Mary now being the new Eve and she's taking it to another level. She was conceived without sin, and she remained sinless for the rest of her life, not by any virtue or merit on her part. She didn't earn this. This was a gift given to her from God. Let's look at the beginning of the Gospel of Luke. At the Annunciation, the angel comes to Mary and gives the announcement, Hail, full of grace, the Lord is with you. This hail full of grace. Notice that the angel doesn't greet her with her name. He greets her with a title. Hail full of grace. And when you dig into the grace here, now in some translations, it's highly favored, no doubt. But look at the Greek. It's kekare tomene, which is what? A perfect passive tense. The angel Gabriel is really saying this. Hail full of grace. Hail the one that has been graced 
in the past, continues to be graced, and will be graced. This is the meaning of grace here. One who started, who is, and who will be maintained and sustained with the grace of God. And this is a greeting. This is a title. And Mary is not omniscient here. The gospel tells us that she pondered these things in her heart. What could this mean? She is full of grace. Why? Because she is going to be the mother of God. She gives her, yes, let it be done unto me according to thy word. Her fiat. She's prepared by God from the beginning of time to be sinless, to be that pure vessel prepared for the word. Now, now that we've mentioned vessels, let's take a look back into the Old Testament. One of the most precious vessels or instruments in the Old Testament was the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant was central. It was in the Holy of Holies, in the temple. And that's where the glory cloud would, would reside. This is where God would dwell. God is omnipresent. He, he is everywhere, but he dwelled in a specific way in the Holy of Holies, in the Ark of the Covenant. And what did the Ark of the Covenant contain? The Ark of the Covenant contained the manna from heaven. Remember the Israelites were in the 40 year hiatus in the desert and they were fed with the manna. Manna literally meaning, what is this? They didn't know what it is and that's what they named it. What is this? Manna. We have the manna stored in the Ark of the Covenant. We have the tablets of the Ten Commandments stored in the Ark of the Covenant. And we also have Aaron's rod, who was the high priest. All of this stored in the covenant. All of these being symbols of Jesus to come. Now, let's look at Mary. Mary has Jesus within her, who is the true bread of life. Who is the true word, the law of God. As Hebrews tells us that Jesus is the true high priest, we have the manna, Aaron's rod, and the tablets being brought to fulfillment in Mary. Literally, in Mary. Because those have been fulfilled in Christ, and Christ comes to dwell in Mary. Mary is the ark of the new covenant. Now let's think back in salvation history. The Ark of the Old Covenant, was it worshipped? Absolutely not. It was not worshipped. But it played an instrumental role in bringing the people of Israel into contact with God. No one could go near it. Only certain people, only the Levitical priesthood could transport it. No one could touch it. And there was one incident where a gentleman in First Chronicles, Uzzah, touched the Ark of the Old Covenant by mistake. It was, it was falling off the poles and he went to balance it and he touched the Ark. And what happened? He was struck dead. Woo! 
And this is with the Ark of the Old Covenant. Nothing unclean could enter into the Ark or be around or near the Ark of the Old Covenant. Why? Because that was the dwelling place of God. Remember Jericho? This was the stronghold that the Israelites defeated, not by military power, but by the power of God. What did they do? They walked behind the Levitical priesthood and the Levitical priesthood was walking behind the Ark of the Covenant. And they went around that city, what was it, six times? And on the seventh day, they went around it seven times and the walls fell down. Did the Ark of the Covenant make the walls fall down? No, it was God's presence within and around the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant was central to Jewish identity. Now, as a result of a disobedience of the people of God, they fell away from that covenant relationship and that resulted in the, the dividing of the kingdom. And you had the northern kingdom being conquered by the Assyrians and you had the southern kingdom being conquered by the Babylonians. And the Ark of the Covenant was lost and it was lost for over six centuries until John the Apostle had a heavenly vision. And this vision is given to us in Revelation. Listen. Then God's temple in heaven was opened and the ark of his covenant was seen within his temple. And there were flashes of lightning, voices, peals of thunder, an earthquake and heavy hail. Now, with the appearance of the ark of the covenant to the Jewish reader, they would get excited because the ark of the covenant was, had been lost for over six centuries. And now John has a vision of the ark. Oh my goodness, what's gonna happen, right? Now keep reading. It says, and a great portent appeared in heaven and a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet and on her head a crown of 12 stars. She was with child and she cried out in pangs of birth in anguish for delivery. Now the Jewish reader would say, wait a minute, you were just talking about the Ark of the Covenant and then you switch to a woman. Is this a sign of distraction? Absolutely not. Yes, it occurs in a different chapter, but keep this in mind. When the ancients would read this and hear this read, there were no chapter and verse divisions. This is all in the same context here. And the Ark of the Covenant, the author didn't just switch topics and go to a woman. He was telling us what the Ark of the Covenant is now. The Ark of the Covenant now is not a box. It's not a box overlaid with acacia wood and gold. It is a woman now. She contains within her the bread of life, the high priest, the word of God. Mary is the Ark. And nothing unclean can touch her now. Remember Uzzah? How much more so for anyone getting around Mary? She is preserved. She is the Immaculate One. She is the Ark of the New Covenant. We have another text that points to Mary being the Ark of the Covenant. Look, let's compare Mary's visitation to Elizabeth. 
we know that Mary and Elizabeth are relatives. And right after the Annunciation, Mary goes to visit Elizabeth. We're going to compare that trip to David's trip, who was the king of Israel in the Old Testament. His trip to Jerusalem. Check this out. It says in 2 Samuel that David arose and went. Okay, he arose and went. Mary in Luke says, it says of her that she arose and went. She's going to Elizabeth. David's going to Jerusalem. Hang in there. Mary and David both went to the hill country of Judah. Okay. David says this. How can the ark of the Lord come to me? In 2 Samuel. What does Elizabeth say upon meeting Mary? She says, why is it granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? We have David dancing for joy in the presence of the ark in 2 Samuel chapter 6. He's dancing for joy. And we have John in Elizabeth's womb, his mom's womb, leaping for joy in the presence of the Messiah. In the presence of Jesus within Mary. It doesn't end there. Listen. The ark remained in the hill country for three months. And how long are we told that Mary stays with Elizabeth? You got it. Three months. Is that a coincidence? No, it's a God incident. <laughs> this is the spiritual sense of the scripture. Now, obviously, this went beyond the intention of the human authors. This goes beyond the literal sense. But we know that to get the full interpretation of scripture, we combine the literal sense with the spiritual sense. Mary is the ark of the new covenant. She is preserved pure for the role, the instrumental role that she would play in you and I coming to know Jesus. Once again, when we recognize the Immaculate Conception, we are not uplifting Mary for Mary's sake. Mary says it herself in the gospel account. Whatever he tells you, and he's refer she's referring to her son, do whatever he tells you. Every doctrine about Mary is given to us to protect our understanding about Jesus. Every Marian doctrine acts as a kind of moat around the castle. And what does a moat do for a castle? It protects people from getting over into the castle. And that's what the Marian doctrines do. They make sure that who Jesus is and what he is is preserved for you and I, that we might be partakers of the divine life. Jesus is our hope. Let us praise God for the great work that he's worked in Mary, the mother of God. And let us ask her for her intercession that we might come to know her son in a more intimate way every day of our lives. Take care and may God bless you all the days of your life. Amen. Outside my window, the 
light flow of the breeze, sun shining, blinding, but the warmth fills my soul from head to toe. Do you know the deeper meaning of this moment that heals my woes? I open my heart and the world's to still. Tired screeching horns beeping, people waiting until I testify to the tear and the joy in my eyes at the one who loved me so passionately. He sent his son. Show me what it means to find myself. Not in power, money, lust, but in true gift of self that I make to the other, my sister and brother, family, humanity, a civilization of love begins with you and me in the depths of the body and soul. Lo and behold, God dwells within man and redeems him whole. A new springtime in a world of landmines, offered at the price of flesh for bread, blood, for wine. Believe it. I swallowed the whole world, but was never filled until I met you. I met you. I met you. A gift so pure and true, I could never believe unless I found you. I found you. I found you. Can we begin again? It all depends on people setting man at the invitation of Christ. How to be a true human, intelligent, designed to spy the divine, crafted unto divine. One time and for.